Um, I'm excited to be with you this morning and to share with you a little bit from my heart. I, um, I love working with the kids because they're just so different than adults. You know, the kids are so honest and they're so curious and they're not afraid to ask questions. And, you know, they're very impressionable. And so they're very honest with me and they'll tell me if they don't like something I'm wearing. They'll tell me if our snack is gross. You know, they'll um, interrupt me in the middle of the Bible story and say, uh, Miss Erica, but my mom says, and you correct everything I say. They are so much fun, but yet at the same time, they're so different from adults in that they're so honest with where they're at too. They're not afraid to ask questions that we might be afraid to ask as adults. They don't care what you think of them when they ask. And in fact, sometimes they stump me with some really good ones and I have to come back to them the next week after I do some research because they're really good questions. Um, they also will share their weaknesses so easily. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the fruit of the spirit. I said, okay guys, we've talked about all the different fruits and how we want them to show in our lives. Now, which one do you guys struggle with the most? And kids are just you know, volunteering, kindness. I'm thinking, whoa, patience, my sister really bugs me. You know, And they're just so honest. You don't hear adults in response to a message or an altar call saying, me, I struggle. You know, the kids are just different and they're honest and I love that. They're also so very impressionable. And so I've learned over the years, many stories of parents coming back to me saying, you know, we were at dinner the other night and we were talking about this and my child interrupted and said, but Miss Erica says, because what I say to them is, you know, it's truth, it's the word and I have to be careful with what I teach them because they take it as complete truth. And I don't take my ministry lightly. I love the kids and I know that bringing them up to know the word of God and to have a relationship with him is very important and I don't take that role lightly. I very much love what I do. This morning, I've titled my message, It Takes a Family. With kids ministry being such a passion of mine and a ministry focus, you can imagine how tough it was to go for a whole year without much in-person interaction with my kids. It was really rough. You know, there was days where I was discouraged. There were days where I didn't understand. There was days that I'd walk through my kids' spaces thinking of fun things we had done together and just cry before the Lord saying, where is this headed? Where are we going? What is kids ministry gonna look like? When do I get the kids back? It was tough. I knew our families were struggling. I knew they were frustrated just like me. I knew they were lonely, discouraged, angry, unsure of what was coming up. We prayed and I prayed for Holy Spirit inspiration and fun things to do with the kids. And we did, we did some fun online things, some silly videos. We did drive-through events and we had so much fun with family style kids church on Sundays where the parents would stay in and we'd study as a family and just a different season, but it served its purpose and we grew together, but it still just wasn't the same. And I'm sure I don't have to tell you guys that the last 18 months have been crazy, ups, downs, wins, losses, frustrations. And I love to study psychology. I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I love to study human behavior. I love to study the psychology of things. And I've been very interested in where did our families get left after all of this pandemic? What are they struggling with? Where's the church at? Where's everybody coming back from? And so I started looking at that. And I was looking at the definition of trauma. By definition, a traumatic experience that we've all experienced lately is a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. 
Now, when I started thinking about that, how many of you feel like you've been through a deeply distressing, disturbing experience lately? Life has been rough. It's been anxiety-causing. It's been disturbing. We've lost control of a lot of things. Some have lost jobs. Some, on the other hand, have overworked to the point they're exhausted. Some are recovering from losses. We had way less interaction with our family and friends. More than that, we've watched our country just decline and implode and struggle and blur the lines. So when we go through a traumatic event, or in this case, a whole traumatic season in our lives, to recover, to heal from this trauma or anxiety-causing situation, it takes a lot of time. And we go through a lot of different steps to heal. Some of you have probably heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief before. If you've teased somebody about being in denial, you probably have heard of it. She said that people are recovering from many different types of distress or pain or regret or loss of something very important to us. We go through a series of healing steps. Now, all of us have experienced trauma at different paces, different ways. Some I've talked to said, oh, the pandemic didn't really affect my job that much. Some, it's been very severe. It's been loss. It's been loss of loved ones. But we've all experienced, you know, lockdown with no end in sight, not knowing when we'd get to go back to life. We've had all those angry debates as we watch people fight about to mask, not to mask. Should I get my vaccine? Oh, don't get your vaccine. It's all anxiety-causing things in our lives unsettling our world around us. And we all respond and recover at different rates and in different ways. And that leaves us all at different stages now. So as we're all coming back, we're trying to navigate reality and we're coming back to in-person services and we're all looking forward to that week when we have one service, right? And we're all together and it's our great family reunion. I started looking at all of this and thinking about all of the different people and how all of us are in different places returning. So let's look at these different steps that she listed as phases of recovery and how they relate to where we're at after this season. The first stage is denial. This is your stage like we were in when we were all getting shut down and it was the two weeks to slow down the curve, right? Slow down the spread and stop it all. And we couldn't believe we were really shutting down life, right? We were thinking things like, well, we really can't like, stay at our houses for months at a time, right? Like, this, is, this can't be true, what are we doing? We couldn't believe what we were facing. Then we moved on to stage two and people got angry. This is when your response is just anger to everything. Even people that you hadn't seen respond in anger before were getting angry. Everyone was fired up. They were feeling frustrated, helpless, powerless. And so everyone got angry. This is when we saw believers knocking heads on Facebook and saying things that you were shocked that they would say because anger was so filling them and they were so frustrated with where their life was. And then we moved on to the bargaining stage. We just wanted a fix for everything. We wanted to move on. We wanted to be done hurting. We were wanting to be done with stress. We were feeling helpless, so we started bargaining with God. God, I'll go to church, just open the doors. Get us back in there, reopen things, Lord, and I'll get back into church. I'll be a part, you know, I'll get in there. And we're trying to fix everything. Then the next stage is depression. That's when our anxiety and our panic is shifting a little bit, and we start thinking about what we've lost during the season, what we've missed, those birthday parties. My daughter lost her graduation that we looked forward to for years. All those important things, and you start having sadness and disappointment that grows in you. And when people battle depression, 
We usually isolate, right? Well, that worked right in with our social distancing because we isolated even more. And mental health declined and suicide rose and we have this big problem. And normalcy seems so far off into the future. Then finally, we have the acceptance stage recovering. These are like the stage of, well, it is what it is, right? We can move on. And you know that you still have struggles there, but the pain's not as fresh. And you're trying to just move on. Any of this sound familiar? Because I've gone through a lot of these phases in the last year. Even the greatest and strongest of believers struggled through different phases. Yes, we all went through different paces and rates, but it was all very much of a traumatic experience for all of us. A good example of this was last week with our kids' camp. We were maxed out, every bed registered, filled. You know, we were so excited. We had the leaders ready. We had our group of over 50 people. We were ready. And then the fire set in. And we started watching. And it was watching the air quality. And it was watching evacuation notices. And I started talking to God. God, you can't possibly let this happen, right? We have 350 people that are gonna be touched by your presence this week. We've been working so hard on this. And I'm getting angry as the week goes on and they're talking more and more about canceling and how it's not safe. And I called on friends and I was bargaining with God. And I'm like, God, you gotta save this camp. I don't understand what's your plan here. And I was really sad. As they decided to cancel camp, our kids are disappointed. And I thought, man, God, they already lost a camp last year. How are they gonna handle this again? I don't understand your plan. I'm walking through all these steps. 2020's coming back. All those stages, all those feelings are still real and coming back to me. It was a struggle. But it reminded me through all of this how our families are coming back to church and how all of you guys are in different phases and different places and different places of healing and struggle. And we need to welcome those families back, each other back, more lovingly and patiently and with compassion than ever before. Because we just don't know what everybody else is processing. We don't know what their pandemic season was like. We don't know where they're at now. But as I studied about healing from trauma and recovering, I learned that when people are recovering, they need familiar, safe environments. So coming into the presence of the Lord or your church family should be one of the best places to recover. So now, more than ever, is a great time to invite those struggling friends and family back into church with you. This is a place where you can feel the presence of God and be at peace and heal and allow him to heal you so that you can move on and walk in that peace and contentment. So I know you're thinking, great, Pastor, if you drug up all those emotions I've been feeling this morning, we're all really encouraged. Great, we've all struggled. We're trying to get back to normal. And I don't mean to stir all that back up, but that's where we're at, right? I mean, we're all in different phases. We're all trying to work back towards normal. What is normal now? Are your cases are down? Are they up? What are we doing? Did vaccines work? Are variants bad? It's just so much information for us to process. So let's turn it and let's talk about what we can do to recover. Number one, you cannot do it on your own. Let me say it again, you cannot do this on your own. I am the first person that wants to do it on their own. I can do it, God, I got it. Yep, God's right here with me, got it. But we can't, we can't do it on our own. If you're struggling with the chaos and unpredictability of life, if you feel like you're alone in the battle, you're walking along and it's just too hard, those of you at home, those of you in this room, you're not alone. He's right there waiting for you. 
Father God wants you to lean into him and let him strengthen and encourage and comfort you. He sees your struggle, he hears your cries, and you're not alone. Matthew 6, 8 says, for your father knows what you need even before you ask. He knows what you need. He's standing there on standby waiting for you just to ask for help, just like the patient father he is. But he's not gonna force himself on you. Listen to these promises in his word. Psalm 29, 11 says, the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Hebrews 13, 5, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God hasn't gone anywhere, friends. He's right there, just waiting for you to reach out. He wants to help. It's you and I that get distracted. It's all the over-information. It's all the worries of this life. We forget to look through the lens of God. We let him sit aside here. We get so, there's just too much information these days. We're watching numbers, we're watching cases, we're watching things that discourage us. Instead of getting our eyes on God and remembering that he is ultimately there to take control, take those burdens off and take care of us, but we leave him waiting on the side. Have you ever watched a small toddler try to do something on their own that they can't do yet? <clears throat> like tie their shoe or feed themselves and they're not quite ready yet and you're watching them and you so badly wanna do it for them and I literally have done where I reach out and have to restrain myself because I know they need to try for themselves and fail to know that they need help. So you watch them and they're struggling and they're struggling and they finally go, okay, and they give it to you and let you help. I feel like that's how Father God watches us many at the time where he's standing by and he's wanting to help and he wants to jump in and no. And he wants to help so badly and just thinking, I could do this for you. I could carry this for you. But we've got that. I can do it myself attitude of a little two-year-old. We want to do it ourselves. We can do it. And God's just going, I'm here when you're ready. I'm here to help. But, you know, I'm not going to take it from you. You know, you've got this. I'm just waiting to help you. And we try and we fail again and again. And he eagerly waits to pick us up and to help us. The sooner we wait, the sooner we ask God to help and allow him to bear our burdens, the sooner we can return to that peace and that joy and that contentment. But the longer we struggle, we don't let him in and we don't allow him to touch us, our world can just keep crumbling into a mess. Number two, come home to your church family. Those of you watching online, come home to your church family. That's a great way to combat all the stress and anxiety and emotions. We need you. Each and every one of you is an important part of your church family. We need everybody and their part and their giftings to be one, to be whole and a unified church body. God has given each one of you a place and a purpose in our church family. Let's look at this in the scripture this morning. If you wanna to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12. I have the NIV version here, and it'll be up on the screen for you too. It says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, 
it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So here Paul is writing to the Corinthians in this letter, explaining both the unity that is within the body of Christ and the diversity. I love verse 18 where he says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So in other words, each and every one of us is strategically placed in the body of Christ, in the church family where we belong, exactly where he wants us. Every one of us has gifts and strengths, and God wants to use those to bless those around us and further his kingdom plan. If we aren't using our gifts and strengths, not only are we robbing ourselves of that fulfillment of obeying God and allowing him to use us, but we're robbing our church family of the blessings that they could have from us using our gifts. Verse 19 goes on to say, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Each and every gifting, each service we give is so important. Paul is saying each part of the body is necessary. How would our physical bodies function if we didn't have each and every part? It's all necessary, it's all vital, just in the same way our church family needs all of the different pieces. Verse 25 continues, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each and every person in our church family has worth. From the top of Pastor David taking the lead, to the board members, to the prayer team, to the nursery caregivers, the greeters, the food pantry stalkers, everybody has equal quality and purpose in this church. It takes all of us, the whole family, to fulfill God's purpose. None of the roles are any weaker or less than each other, they were all equal. And when one family member hurts, we all rally and we hurt together, right? We pray, we lay hands, we encourage. When one family member is celebrating, we all celebrate together those wins, those times where God answers prayer. That's what healthy families do. Number three, find your place in the family. As we begin to more steadily attend services in a church or we come back from a season like this pandemic season, it's sometimes it's hard to find your place. Where's my role? What do I do in the church? Where do I fit? I don't feel like I fit. And we can struggle to find our place. One of the best ways to get involved, to get connected is to serve. Do what you love to do with people in your church family. 
You become so connected when you serve on a team together. I have gotten really attached to a lot of you in the church that I would not normally spend time with because of maybe our age differences or life stages or whatever it is. But when you're working towards a common goal in a ministry and you're trying to make something better and you wanna see it succeed and you put in that hard work and the ups and downs together, you are bonded and you are excited, you are driven, you're working together and it creates connection and you work as a family, just like your family at home. It isn't always just the fun times and the wins that bring you together, but it can also be those times where you're riding up and down and trying to reach your community. Jesus gave us the perfect example of servanthood. Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' ministry here on earth was all about people, the people around him. He was serving, he was healing, he was teaching, he was feeding, he was all about serving people, even to the ultimate sacrifice of his life for a bunch of sinners like us. If our goal as believers is to become more like Jesus, we have to serve, we have to find our place. And there's so many places you can serve in our church family. What makes you excited? What gets you going? What is God nudging you to do? Where is your place? What need do you wanna meet? Some of us like to be in the front organizing things and, and leading people on and inspiring them and others just like to come in and be supportive and serve and do the work and do it well and be done. And that's fine, we need both of those kinds of people. We have both of those roles all over the church. First Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, each of you has been blessed with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in the service of others. So use your gift well. If you have the gift of speaking, preach God's message. If you have the gift of helping others, do it with the strength that God supplies. Everything should be done in a way that will bring honor to God because of Jesus Christ, who is glorious and powerful forever. The scripture says each, each and every one of you guys is blessed with God's wonderful gifts. Not some of you, not those of you who feel confident and qualified, each and every one of you. Some of you God's been speaking to you about getting involved and you aren't sure where you wanna serve. And you're thinking, I don't know, I don't know God. And there's others of you that God's telling you what to do and it's hard and you're saying, God, I don't know if I can do that. I don't, I don't know, that's really outside my little comfort box, I don't know. I remember when Pastor David was talking about our comfy box a couple weeks ago and how when you step out of your comfy box, God can use you and you step out of in obedience and asking God what to do and allowing him to use you and allowing yourself to become uncomfortable. It's an amazing place to be. This is not necessarily in my comfy box to speak to a big group of adults, but I know that when God puts something on my heart and he calls me to do something, I will be obedient and I will be there because his Holy Spirit will wrap himself around and fill in all those gaps that I have as a person and he will use even little old me and my weaknesses in a mighty way. And once you do that and you step outside of your comfy little box and God supplies that as you need, it's amazing and it spurs you on and you wanna do the next hard thing because you know that God will be right there with you and he has a purpose and he can use you even if you feel completely unqualified. There's nothing like walking in obedience to the Lord. But if you're gonna step, stay in your little comfy box and not allow him to use you, you're missing out. 
Because in that growth and that reliance on him, just like when you rely on anyone else in your life, brings an intimate relationship with him. When you have to rely fully on him carrying you through, it draws you in closer and you build your relationship. So as we are transitioning back from our season of less ministries, a little bit different services, multiple services, and we're coming back in person, we have so many different opportunities to serve. And as Pastor David's been mentioning lately um, in his messages, our kids' ministries are in big need of volunteers. Now, when I talk about kids' ministries, and some of you guys have heard me say this before, I look at it as family ministries because you can't minister to the kids without it affecting the families. And so it goes beyond just childcare in the nursery and some coloring pages and a cute book. It's real ministry. And it's ministering to those kids that are the foundation of our church and the next generation. These are the kids that are gonna be leading our small groups and these are the kids that are gonna be leading the church and being on the board and they're going to be setting the standards. And if we fail them and don't educate them and teach them what the word says and who they are in Christ, they are gonna fail. If parents come into church and they have a fussing kid and they can't enjoy service and they can't get fed, it's gonna affect the whole family whether it's mama, daddy, or grandma who's watching over that household for the week. When you're dry and you're spiritually struggling and you can't get fed and you can't come in and have community, it's really hard to walk it out through the week. And so we know that it's a whole family ministry. Young families are a piece of our foundation in the church. And we really need to strengthen them and build them up and support them but it can't be just me alone. It'll take all of us. It takes a whole family rallying around. And I know some of you are saying, you know, I don't really like to work with kids or I'm, you know, I'm beyond that age and that I don't have the energy. I can't get down on the floor with them anymore. It's just not what I can do. I'm gonna ask you, can you pray? Can you pray for our kids' ministry? Can you bathe us in prayer? Can you support us? Will you encourage and welcome the families in the door when you come in, when they come in and they have that toddler that they're dragging in, screaming and kicking, they have to take the kid out of service. Will you be a kind, encouraging word to that mom or dad? Because man, it's hard. It's hard when it takes everything in you to get your family to church and then the kids keep you out of service and you think, what is the point? I don't get it. Will you just be an encouragement to those moms, grandmas, dads, single moms, young parents, parents of special needs, we have so many foster families. Will you be supportive and an encouragement to them? Because they need some place to be. They need to be supported. And if you've looked out in our community resources, they're overburdened. Mental health is overburdened. All the supportive services are. And part of my vision is, wouldn't it be awesome if we had the reputation of being the church that supported families? If parents, a struggling parent would start sharing and saying, you're having a hard time, I was too. And I found my family and my church family rallied around me and they showed me that God has hope and they're there for me and you can come too, come with me. They're supportive, they'll take care of the kids. You can come, you can experience the Lord and you can get the hope that you need. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's part of my vision, but I can't do it alone. The church is meant to be a hospital for those that are hopeless and hurting. And it doesn't take much to look around and see that the world is hurting in a dark place. It's hard for parents to raise kids in this world. I'll be the first to say it's really hard to hold lines and to be, raise them conservatively and by the Bible. Everything is blurred these days. Kids are being encouraged to accept everything and anything and everybody's okay. And I'm sorry, but that's not what the Bible says. 
And we've got to get behind our families so that they know when they stand up for the word of God that they have somebody behind them because it feels really lonely, doesn't it? When you take a stand, it feels very lonely to be the mom that they say, oh, don't you protect your children? Yes, I do. Because the world's a dark place and they need to know the Lord and they need to know the word and they need to know where God stands. And I will protect my kids for that. But I have a church family and not everybody has that church family to fall back on. I know that if I'm struggling, I have friends to go to and say, man, I am really struggling. Please pray for me because the world is very dark. And our community doesn't have that. They need that. They need that backbone. They need the whole family standing behind them for those days when they're exhausted and they need to come in the door, send their kids off and just soak in the presence of God for the next week because they need it. Jesus saw the importance of taking time for the kids and we should follow his example. He took time, he told the disciples, no, bring the kids to me, he blessed them and we need to do the same. I have so, so many things, goals upon dreams upon visions of things that I wanna do with our family ministries, but I can't do it by myself. I need teachers who wanna prepare lessons. I need people who just wanna come in and love on kids, whether it's the nursery, whether it's doing crafts with kids and serving snacks. We just need people that wanna come in and love on our kids. We also need friendly faces at our check-in station. That is such a connecting point with families. When they come in and you have a smiling face and you say, how's your morning? Here's what we have to offer. What ages are your kids? We're so glad you're here. It makes such a difference. We need people to do that. We have so many different opportunities to help our families and to serve them. But it takes our whole church family catching the whole vision together and investing in that vision in which way you can. Scott, if you'll come up. So I ask you this morning if you would just be in prayer. As a church family, will you be in prayer about your role with family ministries? Maybe you just want to partner with us in prayer and that's all you can do right now and that's amazing. Pray for workers. Pray for our clan to expand because the harvest is there. The people are ripe, people are frustrated and anxious and they're looking for hope and they're looking for help. The harvest is so ripe, but we need more workers. Will you all stand with me this morning? This morning I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond. Maybe this last season has been really hard and you're still carrying some burdens and you're tired and you just wanna hand some things over to God, you wanna take off that pack, that weight, that's been weighing you down and regain your joy and your peace. Maybe your family's struggling, you say, man, we are just in a mess right now and I just need God to come and intervene for us. Maybe you need strength to be that godly family and to stand the lines. Maybe you're trying to find your role in the church and you just say, God, I wanna, I wanna offer myself up to you. Whatever you have for me, I'm here for it. I wanna be used. This morning, Pastor Chris and I would love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. As God sings, I pray that you just come down and allow us to pray with you this morning. Yeah.
Father God, we thank you this morning, Father God, that we could get together and encourage each other and study your word, Father God. Help our church family this week to remember your promises that you'll never leave, Father God. You are right there waiting for us to ask for help. As we navigate this tricky season, Father God, of transitioning back to whatever normal is, Lord, we pray that you would just walk closely with us, Lord God, that we would remember that you are right there and that we would pull together closer as a family than we ever have before, Father God, supporting one another, encouraging each other through the winds and the highs and the lows, Lord. I pray you'd be with my church family this week, Father God, that you would protect them, keep them safe and healthy, Father God, as we come back together again next Sunday together. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning.